dressed in his righteousness alone faultless stand before the throne let's sing that again and when he shall I will not be moved. 
always with us. You never leave us, you never forsake us. You're leading us by the hand. You're leading us by your word. Ever present, ever present help. Hallelujah. Well, we give praise that he's here to carry out his word within us. Amen. Say hello to someone next to you. Amen. Well, we want to give you an opportunity to give before we get into the Word. There are offering envelopes there in the seat around where you're located, and we invite you to take one of those if you'd like. Hallelujah. It's good to be in church. Makes you appreciate it more when they start trying to take it away from you, doesn't it? Amen. Well, we'll continue our regular schedule of services this week. We'll be here Wednesday night at 7. And then, of course, our Sunday services are at 9.30 in the morning and 6 o'clock in the evening is healing school. So whatever you might hear between now and then, that's what we're going to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to bring our gifts and our offerings unto you. It's a privilege, Father, to be a doer of your word. And we thank you for showing yourself faithful. We claim the blessing of the tithers, Father. So we declare that the windows of heaven are opened unto us. And you're pouring out a blessing upon us that there's not room enough to receive. We furthermore thank you, Father, that the devourer is rebuked for our sake. As we give over and above our tithe that's given back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give unto our bosom. And Father, we thank you for spectacular increase in these last days. No matter what's going on in the world around us, we know that you and your word never fail. Thank you, Father, for watching over your word to perform it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. It says, And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he, speaking of Jesus, was hungry. And seeing the fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter, Forever, and his disciples heard it. 
Let's skip down to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Folks, there are many wonderful things about this, these scriptures and this passage of scripture concerning faith. We know the Bible says in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We also know that James tells us in James chapter 1, James tells us that without faith it's impossible to receive from God. So if faith is necessary to please God and faith is necessary to receive from God, then how important can this thing called faith be? It's of utmost importance. First thing I want you to notice about this, Jesus answers and uh, responds to Peter's implied question. He really doesn't ask anything, but he's implying how did this tree die overnight that you cursed yesterday morning or yesterday during the day sometime. And Jesus responds by saying, have faith in God. Now that scripture is translated a bunch of different ways in different translations. One translation is have the faith of God. And from that we coined the phrase the God kind of faith. Well, what other kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? So we see that fits. But Jesus is demonstrating, or he's explaining, I guess we should say, what he's already demonstrated. So we could say this, drawing from Jesus' example in this passage of Scripture, the God kind of faith speaks to the problems. The God kind of faith speaks to the issues that we face. The God kind of faith speaks to circumstances and situations as they arise in our lives. Jesus didn't pray about the fig tree. He didn't pray that God would do something about the fig tree. Jesus spoke to the situation. And it's interesting how it said Jesus answered. It's as if the fig tree has refused to respond to what Jesus wants it to do. And so Jesus speaks to the tree. And he says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Next morning they come by and they see the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter calling to remembrance saying, Master, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday is withered away. And Jesus explains that what they have just seen, what they have witnessed, what they heard him say the day before, and what they're witnessing the next morning is the God kind of faith in action. Now, what do you think Jesus was doing overnight? You think Jesus was talking to God about that tree? You think Jesus stopped and said, Now, Father, I cursed that tree and the disciples heard me, so you've got to make good on that. I don't think Jesus was doing any of the things that so many modern-day Christians do, trying to get the results that Jesus got. But instead, Jesus tells us the principle by which everything in the kingdom of God operates. 
He says, if we'll believe in our hearts and speak with our mouths and believe that what we say will come to pass, we will have whatsoever we say. We will have whatsoever we say. Now, folks, I want you to look with me tonight to three desperate cases concerning healing in the ministry of Jesus. Three desperate cases. First, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, Jesus is coming back from the mountain of transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Jesus answered him. He's responding to the Father. Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, let's interrupt the story right there to talk about some things that we know that they didn't know. They mean the, the disciples. When Jesus speaks to the Father or responds to the Father, he identifies the faithless generation as being the Father, not the disciples. O faithless generation, how long must I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And when they did, the little boy starts foaming and having one of these seizures or whatever else we would call it, that had been taking place in him all their lives, all his life. Jesus has identified the problem right off the bat. Now, the Bible says clearly that the disciples could not cast this evil spirit out. But if you'll look back, you'll find out that already Jesus has delegated to the disciples power over evil spirits, and gave them the ability to, to um, uh, heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. So they're operating based on what Jesus has delivered to them, but they couldn't get results. It's interesting to me how Jesus didn't have to pray about what the problem was. He knew instantly what the problem was. And folks, the same solution to this situation is the solution to every situation that's not working. And that is an absence of faith. Jesus knew. That's why he called it a faithless generation. He's identifying the Father as being part of a faithless generation. He's identifying the problem as a lack of faith. Jesus knows there's only one thing that stops the power of God from accomplishing what God sent it here on the earth to do. And that's a lack of faith. I'm so glad God made this stuff easy enough to understand. Because I'm sure you, if something like that happened now, the church would get together a bunch of people and make a committee and try to come up with an answer. And folks, quite frankly, that's the reason why so much of the church fails to believe in the power of God to heal because of what committees have determined. But there's one ingredient that's always necessary to make the word of God come to pass in our lives. 
And if the word of God is not working in our lives, that's the one and only one area that we need to examine. So this boy has a seizure as he's brought to Jesus. We'll pick up with verse 20 again. And they brought him to him, brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And the father said, since he was a child. And oft times it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now I want you to notice what the father is doing. The father is, uh, is identifying himself to be in exactly the same situation that we've read from Jesus. In other words, what Jesus already understood is now made plain by the father's words. If you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything. Folks, can you imagine any situation where God can't do anything? Can you imagine a situation where God can't do something? The only thing that God is unable to overcome is unbelief of the individual. So if God is not able to do something, it's because of the lack of faith of the, of the individual. And that's what Jesus responds to. Jesus says, if I can... In the original Greek, this is a sarcastic statement. Jesus is speaking to him in real life terms. And he says, if I can, all things are possible to him that believes. In other words, he's saying, you're wasting your time questioning my power. Now, the father knows that. Intrinsically, he knows that. Because the only reason he would have brought his son to Jesus is if he had heard that Jesus was healing the sick and casting out devils. Otherwise, why is he there? He's desperate, no question about it. He's the first of these three desperate cases. And his desperation shows that when he first brought his son to the disciples, he's just hoping something good will happen. He doesn't have a foundation of faith. He's heard that Jesus has healed the sick and cast out devils. And so he brings his son to where Jesus is, hoping that something good's going to happen. But he doesn't have any foundation for belief. He reveals that, and people always show where they are in faith by the words that they speak. You listen long enough, and you can find out where anybody is. And so he tries to turn it back onto Jesus. Now, folks, that's exactly what the modern-day church world does. The modern-day church is waiting for God to do something and completely ignoring the fact that God has already done everything that's necessary for every member of the body of Christ to be whole to be delivered from sickness and disease, to be delivered from the work of the devil. God's already made his move. And the Bible tells us very clearly, very simply, it tells us that the next move is ours. And that move is simply to take hold of by faith. No matter what things look like, no matter how we feel, to take hold of the blessing of God by faith and appropriate it into our lives by the words that we speak. That's what's missing here. Jesus already knows it's missing because the work, the delegated power that he delivered to the disciples over the power of the devil and over sickness and disease hasn't worked. So Jesus knows clearly where the problem is. And the problem is the lack of faith on the part of the individual. In this case, the father. So he tries to put it over on Jesus. 
if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus very simply says, it's not a matter of what I can do. It's a matter of what you can believe. So the father responds to that. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Now up until this point in time, I would suggest to you that Jesus has not challenged this father's faith until the father said what he did about having compassion on us and helping us. Here's what I mean by that. There were situations, for example, the blind men, the two blind men that were on the, the side of the road where Jesus and his, his, uh, uh, the people following him passed by. And they began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus kept going. And it says when Jesus came to the house, wherever they, whatever their destination was, when he came to the house, these two blind men had made their way to follow the, the crowd and came in before him and asked for him to heal their eyes. And Jesus asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. So he touched their eyes and they were healed. Well, why did Jesus pass them by? Why did Jesus keep going? There were other times where Jesus stopped to help people. Why did he keep going and require them to make their way? Somebody had to have led them for them to get to the place where Jesus was, was going, his final destination. Why did Jesus keep going? Why did he make them put forth the effort? Because, folks, faith acts. When you believe something, when you really believe something, you'll take action in line with it. Well, if faith always acts, and Jesus talked about the characteristics of faith being believing in your heart or believing from your spirit, believing other than what you can see and feel, but instead believing what God's word says and saying with your mouth, confession is the action of faith. Confession is the action of faith. Now, what does this guy confess? Talking about the Father. What has this guy confessed? Well, he's confessed that the disciples couldn't help him. And he's confessed that the problem has existed with his son since he was a child. Not necessarily since birth, but since he was a younger child. And now what's he confessing? He's confessing his desperation. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I want you to notice that God doesn't respond to desperation. Jesus doesn't change the rules for him because he has compassion for him or because the father loves his child. Jesus requires the same exact thing from the father that he would from you or me or anybody else. And that is faith. God responds to faith, not desperation. So Jesus knows that he's got to get this father over in a better place. When Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to them that believe. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Now I would recommend or I would suggest to you rather that this is not a high level of faith that he's, ex that he's expressing. 
but at least he's taken part of the, the responsibility upon himself to say, I, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine own belief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now I want you to recognize this didn't take a great effort on Jesus' part to deliver this child. I want you to also consider something else. And that is, when Jesus delegated authority over evil spirits to cast out devils and over every sickness and disease, Jesus gave the disciples the same authority that he had himself. He didn't give, him a down, he didn't give the disciples a downgraded version of what he had. He delegated to the disciples the same authority to cast out devils that he had himself. He delegated to the disciples the same power over sickness and disease that he had himself. And Jesus is not, his authority, his power is not taxed in any way whatsoever to deliver this child. He simply has to get the father in the right frame of mind. He simply has to get the Father in the right understanding that faith is necessary. Now, this is the difference in why Jesus got results and the disciples didn't. The disciples wind up questioning Jesus about why we weren't able to do this. And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. So here's what had to have happened in this situation. When the Father comes to where Jesus' disciples are, I'm sure he expects Jesus to be there, but he's not. And so he makes known what the situation is with his son. And the disciples, rightly so, say, well, that's all right. Jesus delegated authority to us to cast out evil spirits. We'll just set him free. And so they utilized or began to utilize or attempted to utilize the authority over the devil that Jesus had given them. But it didn't work. Now, when it didn't work, they began questioning themselves about what did we do wrong? How did we mess up in this situation? When the first thing they should have done is recognize that the only thing that can stop this power, this uh, exercise of authority over the devil, is unbelief. They should have turned back to the Father and said, now, wait a minute, you've got something to do with this. You've got to believe. For supernatural results if, you, if you're going to obtain supernatural results. Jesus, on the other hand, when he comes on the scene, all he has to hear is that the power didn't work to cast the devil out of this boy. That's all he needs to know to figure out what the problem is. And he identifies it. And he directs the faithless generation comment to the Father. He doesn't turn to the disciples and say, you bunch of buzzards, when are you ever going to get it right? Now, their faith needed shoring up, too, because they were counting on the results to prove whether or not they had anything. But Jesus knew and communicated very simply, it's about faith. And once he gets the Father to express a little bit of faith, and, and 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but this looks to me like it's just a little bit of faith. But that little bit of faith is able to overcome the power of the devil that's held this boy in check all of his life. All it took was a little bit of faith. All it took was the father saying, Lord, I believe. I think he would have been, it certainly would have made a better story if he had shut up after that. But nevertheless, it was enough for Jesus to work with to set the little boy free. That one tweak, that one adjustment, it's going to take faith on your part, Dad, in order for the son to be set free. This desperate situation was changed by just a mustard seed-sized faith on the part of the father. Now turn with me to the next one. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. Here's the next desperate situation or desperate um, condition. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, this word virtue is the word power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now when Jesus says your faith has made you whole, what kind of faith is he talking about? Well, it's the same kind of faith that he describes in Mark chapter 11. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind. For she said, If I may just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So the God kind of faith that Jesus describes is the kind of faith that's based on something beyond what you can see and feel. It's a spiritual faith. It's a faith that originates in the spirit of man or the heart of man. And is expressed the words that, the, that that individual speaks. Well, that's exactly what it describes about her. She heard of Jesus. What she heard of Jesus didn't change her condition. Hearing the report that Jesus was healing the sick didn't keep her from being sick. So her faith is not, can't be based on the things that she saw. But rather was based on the words that she heard. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Well, she heard. And it caused something to change in her. She then began to say, If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now she comes in the press behind, but the type of condition that she had, this issue of blood, is considered to be an unclean condition just like leprosy would be. And so she has to risk the penalty of being caught by the, the crowd. And if she is caught by the crowd, having this unclean condition, 
without warning people that she's coming near. She could have, according to the law of Moses, very easily been stoned to death. So she realizes there's a risk involved for her. Well, that risk doesn't deter her. And in fact, it may be part of the desperate condition that she's in. I'm sure she doesn't like the thought or the idea that somebody could find her out and kill her on the street. But right on the other hand, she, there's no medical help for her anymore. She doesn't have the money to even con continue or pursue medical treatments of any type, even though they don't, wouldn't do her any good. So her desperation is a little different situation than what we saw in Mark 9. She's determinedly desperate. She's determined to do whatever it takes to put herself in a position to make contact with Jesus because Jesus is healing the sick. Now she knows, just as anybody that thinks this thing through would know, that Jesus clearly has the power over sickness and disease. If he didn't have power over sickness and disease, then there'd be no way that he could have healed anybody. There's, no, there's nothing she could have heard about him that would have inspired faith. But the fact that she believes not only that he has the power over sickness and disease or to put an end of, to sickness and disease, but that he was sent to the earth for that very purpose. Without that kind of faith, what would be the point in going in the press behind to touch his garment? Well, she does. She comes up behind Jesus, gets close enough to him to touch the hem of his garment. Jesus feels power go, in, go out of him and into her. She felt the power of God go into her, and she knew that she was instantly healed. Jesus is looking, at, looking around about to see who had done this thing, to see who had made contact with it. And the disciples' response, Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee indicates to us that there are so many people that are around him and everybody's jostling for position trying to get close enough to him to touch him that they thought it would be foolish to try to find one person in the crowd that touched him because everybody in the crowd seems to be trying to touch him. That tells us something else about this, folks. It tells us that the physical touch isn't what was important. Because if everybody that was touching Jesus drew the power of God out of him and into them, then Jesus would have had no reason to look for an individual that did it in a different manner. But of all these people that are following Jesus, I wonder how many of this multitude that's following Jesus and pushing and shoving and trying to get close enough to him to touch him, I wonder how many of those people have heard about him too. Well, if they haven't heard about him, what are they following him for? If they haven't heard about the healing power of God, why are they trying to touch him? If they're not familiar with the work of Jesus on the earth, why are they putting themselves in a position where they're trying to get something from him? What would they be trying to get if not the power of God? And it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't stop and start preaching to the people and say, now, wait a minute. Everybody's trying to touch me. If you're not touching me in faith, touching me is not going to do any good. But he doesn't say a word. He just lets people go about their merry way, doing what they think they should do, 
and getting absolutely no results. And he doesn't try to fix it. So that when the woman with the issue of blood touches him, and she touches him in faith, that physical touch has an action or a result of what she believes in her heart and what she's been saying, that begins to produce results. And Jesus said in verse 34, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. wonder what kind of faith he's talking about in verse 34. I wonder if it's the God kind of faith that he described in Mark chapter 11. Folks, it has to be. It's a textbook example of what Jesus said faith would do and faith would produce. And this woman is credited by Jesus as her, as her healing being the result of her faith. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Remember in Mark chapter 11 when Jesus is describing the God kind of faith, he said, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say unto the mountain. If the woman with the issue of blood's faith made her whole, then your faith can make you whole. No matter what the situation is, no matter how severe it is, no matter how advanced it is, no matter how desperate you may be to, to be rid of it, this determined desperation that we could describe with the woman with the issue of blood, that kind of faith works every time. Now I want to show you one more. Look with me to Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15. Here's another desperate case. Verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let me give you a little background here, a little historical perspective. The coast of Tyre and Sidon, or the, the area surrounding Tyre and Sidon, these two cities, was considered to be the Sodom and Gomorrah of the day. There are, uh, there's one occasion where Jesus curses two cities, the city of Bethsaida and the city of Chorazin. And he says something like this. He says, woe unto you, Chorazin, and woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the works which had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. He says, but it'll be more uh, advantageous. It'll be better for the cities of Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than, you, than it will be for you. So when Jesus uses the example of Tyre and Sidon as being a place that if they had seen the same works that they saw in, in Bethsaida and Chorazin, that it would have changed the, the wicked city, the representative wicked cities, the Sodom and Gomorrah of the day, they would have turned to God in repentance. By that, we understand that the area surrounding Tyre and Sidon, the cities themselves, but also the area surrounding them, was a place that was under a, a great curse because of what they had done to disobey the law of Moses. 
historical documents tell us that it was a place where Jews that had intermarried with other races and nations of people had settled. They were considered, I hate to use this term, but they were considered half-breed Jews. And God made a big deal in the Old, in the old Covenant or under the Old Testament about Jews marrying out, refusing to allow Jews to marry outside the Jewish people. That's not because God's a racist. God couldn't be a racist because he's the one that made races. But it was all about keeping the law of Moses and not worshiping and following after other gods. So Jesus, although he went through the area of Tyre and Sidon, on several occasions in his earthly ministry, mostly just to take a break from his ministry activities because he wouldn't do much in these areas at all. The fact that this woman is from the coast of Tyre and Sidon gives us some insight about her desperation. She knows that she and her kind are looked down upon by the Jews more than anybody else. They were considered much worse than the Gentiles. They were considered by the Jewish people to be much worse than the Gentiles. So having that background information tells us a little bit about this woman's desperate case. Let's read it again. Back up another couple of verses and read again. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I want you to notice something else about this situation, too. She didn't bring her daughter with her. Notice the difference between Mark chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 15. She doesn't bring her daughter. So she can't have the kind of faith that the woman with the issue of blood had. She can't be looking for the results of healing or deliverance and or of deliverance. They're both part of the works of the devil, so it's not like there's any difference or much difference between the two. But it's not like she's counting on Jesus laying his hands on her head and casting the devil out. In that respect, she shares a characteristic of her faith with the centurion in Mark chapter 8, um, in Matthew chapter 8. You remember the centurion came to Jesus and said, My servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented of the devil. Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. The centurion says, You don't have to come. Say, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. She, cares, she shares at least a part of that characteristic with the centurion. So she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Folks, I want you to realize something. She's desperate. There is no other help for her daughter. But she's prepared. If she hadn't been prepared for Jesus to take the position that he did, which was the position of all the Jews, 
about the unworthiness of the people that lived in this place, her hometown, it would have destroyed her. But she had the strength of character to recognize whatever she had heard about Jesus healing the sick and casting out devils. She had to have heard something because she went to him. We don't know exactly what that would be. Perhaps she's heard that Jesus has healed people in different places by speaking the word. Because that's the type of thing that she acts on. But her desperation is the best kind of desperation there is. Because she was prepared. Now not everybody that's in a desperate situation will prepare themselves. It's probably a lot more common for people to take the father in Mark chapter 9's position than the desperate woman in Matthew 15. Most everybody wants to try to turn it over and put it back on Jesus. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, if the story had stopped right there, I'm sure the father would have gone back to wherever he came from and said, I don't understand. I thought he was sent from God. Why wouldn't God do something about this? Why would God let this happen to me? When in reality, the problem was his, not God's. So this woman encounters Jesus, who first doesn't say anything at all, completely ignores her. But then when he finally does answer, he says, you can't have what you want. I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she, verse 25, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, she's already identified Jesus as the son of David. That's always a messianic term. Jesus wouldn't have to be the son of David to do healing works and miracles. Many of the prophets did those too. Elijah and Elisha, their lives and ministry on the earth was filled with with miracles. Well, that didn't make them the Messiah. It didn't mean that that anybody thought they were the Messiah. So when this woman is calling Jesus the son of David, she's convinced by some means that Jesus is the Messiah. Now let that soak in for a minute. If she believes Jesus is the Savior, Jesus first ignores her, and then he says, I'm not sent to help you. And her response, she came to Jesus and worshiped him and said, Lord, help me. She's prepared herself to such a degree that no matter what happens she's not giving up now you would have thought that that would be the point where Jesus would say wow you're just not going to be run off and do something to help her but he didn't Jesus answered he's answering her worshiping him and asking him for help he answers her And said it's not meet or right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. 
That means healing and deliverance belongs to the Jews when Jesus was here on the earth. And it certainly belongs to us who are the children of God today. But he says it's not right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now he's insulting her. He didn't have to use this term. It was a very common term of the day because the Jews considered anybody outside the Jewish people themselves to be dogs and used the term freely. But that doesn't mean Jesus had to use the term. He answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. What does she do? Does she allow herself to be offended? She says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. There's a lot of people that get offended because their healing doesn't come in the way that they want it to or in the time frame that they want it to. And they turn their back on God's word and blame God for the rest of their lives. I love this story of the woman with the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. Because as desperate as she was, and there was no help for her daughter outside of what Jesus could do, as desperate as she was, she prepared herself for every adversity. She prepared herself to not be offended. She prepared herself for things not going the way that she wanted them to, and I'm sure this did not play into her plan or what she imagined things to be. But she was prepared for it. She was prepared for whatever difficulty her fight of faith might encounter. And as a result, she becomes one of the three people that Jesus marvels at because of her faith. The father in Mark chapter 9 was just desperate. He was desperate, but finally exercised a little bit of faith and he got results. The woman with issue of blood was a desperate situation as well but she was determinedly desperate determined to do whatever it took to get a hold of Jesus garment to receive and take hold of what was what belonged to her all along and then finally in Mark in Matthew chapter 15 here's the Syrophoenician woman that prepared herself in spite of or maybe because of her desperate condition or the desperate condition of her daughter and it brought her into a place where God's power was shown and exercised to somebody that he wasn't even sent to and her daughter was made whole there are a lot of things that are going to impress upon people the desperate condition of the day that we live in I think, folks, that I would do a disservice to you if I didn't recommend to you that you prepare yourself like this woman in Matthew 15, that you prepare yourself for the work of the devil all around us. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we go from one mass hysteria condition to another mass hysteria condition to another mass hysteria condition. 
It's the way the devil works. And we very well may have this last week have crossed a threshold where the devil steps up his efforts. And we're going to have to be determined even in desperate situations. And we're going to have to be prepared for the desperate situations that arise around us. Because God never changes. He's the same whether we're desperate or we're not. He's the same whether we're in faith or not. So we need to prepare ourselves. We need to consider. No matter if things take longer than we want them to, God's word still works. But I believe the upside of this is going to be so tremendous because it'll bring about the glory of the Lord seen in the church. We need to develop advanced degrees in patience. Because when patience has her perfect work, we come into the entirety and the perfection of everything that Jesus paid, his, paid the price for with his own precious blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your plan of redemption. We thank you that you've accomplished it through the finished work of Jesus. We thank you that you revealed to us who we are and what we have in you through your word. And you've given us the Holy Spirit to bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever you have said to us. You've given us the Holy Spirit to show us things to come. And we commit ourselves to you, Lord, that no matter what the situation looks like around us, no matter how desperate it may seem, we will be determined to stand strong upon your word. And we will prepare ourselves so that we not allow ourselves to be offended, so that we can take hold of everything Jesus purchased for us with his wonderful, precious blood. Father, we thank you that we're healed from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us, folks. Have a great week.